We, we have a unique opportunity today. Uh, in the context of our, our denomination, we have different ways to equip and train and deploy pastors. And so you're, many of you are mindful that uh, Keith Corver and Phil DeBoof and I are ordained and, uh, in, in a traditional setting through seminaries. But we also have another way in which people are trained and equipped and deployed. So Katie Peterson, Darren Wogan, and today, Allie Kramner, will be, today will be commissioned as one of our pastors. There's been a whole process of learning, and today, Carl, uh, Reverend Carl Borsma, who leads our classes, our group of 20-some churches, is here to officially, as a part of our denomination, lead us in commissioning Allie as one of our pastors. So, Carl, thank you. Welcome. Thank you, Pastor Kevin. Uh, thank you so very much, and Allie, as you're coming forward to, in a moment, to answer some questions, we do want to say a word of thanks uh, to this church family. Ten days ago, you really, uh, we just came, o- came and uh, took over your facilities, and we just want to say a word of thanks to all of your staff and everyone who came through, maybe even just uh, praying uh, for us, uh, but already at nine o'clock we were here, and already from the uh, maintenance team to somebody got me copies within, uh, five copies within a moment, to cleaning up afterwards, uh, the worship team beautifully served us, uh, and uh, uh, at the very end of the day as we we're leaving, there's uh, Pastor Kevin cleaning up the water and the coffee pots and getting them into the kitchen. Thank you for your warm hospitality extended to us. We took over a number of rooms all day long, and we are grateful for the servant-hearted ministry of so many uh, to us. Um, Mike and Allie, it's my privilege to be here on behalf of the classes as well as the commission pastor team and to participate uh, today in your commissioning. On behalf of the commission pastor team, Allie, uh, they've asked me to convey to you uh, how grateful to God we are. They see in you, and, and you did so well at your theology exam, but we're interested in not only, uh, not only uh, what you know, but they asked me to convey to you how appreciative they are to God for your, uh, your love for Jesus and your compassion for people, your deep sense of calling and desire to serve uh, Jesus and the call that he gives to you. First of all, just a few uh, words of explanation concerning the commissioned pastor. Then I have questions uh, for Allie that will be very similar to other commissioned pastors who've been commissioned, but also us who have been ordained, we've answered these questions as well. Commissioned pastors are elders who are trained, commissioned, and supervised by a classes for a specific ministry within the classes. They're called to build up Christ's church, proclaim God's word, to declare forgiveness through Jesus Christ, to call publicly on the name of the Lord in prayer, and to celebrate Christ's holy sacraments. They are to build up and equip those with whom they work, Show the gospel of God's grace in word and deed. Share people's joys and concerns. Encourage the faithful. Recall those who have fallen away. Help the sick and the dying. And to serve with the whole church in its ministry into the world. Ellie, now the question's for you. Do you confess together with us your faith in one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? If so, please answer yes truly with all my heart. Yes, truly, with all my heart. Do you believe in your heart that you are called by Christ's church and therefore by God himself to this specific form of commissioned ministry? Yes, truly, with all my heart. 
And do you believe the books of the Old and New Testaments to be the word of God and the perfect doctrine of salvation, rejecting all contrary beliefs? Yes, truly with all my heart. Will you proclaim the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, upholding the witness of God's holy word? If so, please answer, I will, and I ask God to help me. I will, and I ask God to help me. Will you pray for God's people? Lead them by your own example and faithful service and holy living. I will, and I ask God to help me. And will you accept the church's order and governance, participating in the annual evaluation of your performance and ministry? I will, and I ask God to help me. And will you be loyal to the witness and the work of the Reformed Church in America, using all of your abilities to further its Christian mission here and throughout the world? I will, and I ask God to help me. And will you strive to fulfill faithfully, diligently, and cheerfully the duties required of you in the work to which you've been commissioned following our Lord's example of humble service? I will, and I ask God to help me. And the decoration that she is about to read is very similar to the decoration for all commissioned pastors, but also uh, the, the decoration that we as ordained ministers of word and sacrament have made. They're very solemn before God and you, and therefore we would like to ask you to please stand and remain standing for two questions I will have of your support for, uh, for Allie. I, Allie Cranmer, am becoming a commissioned pastor in the Reformed Church of America within the classes of Central Iowa, sincerely and gladly de declare before God and with you that I believe the gospel of the grace of God in Jesus Christ, as revealed in the Holy Scriptures of the Old and New Testaments, and expressed in the standards of the Reformed Church in America. I accept the scriptures as the only rule of faith in life. I accept the standards as historic and faithful witness to the word of God. I promise to walk in the spirit of Christ in love and fellowship within the church, seeking the things that make for unity, purity, and peace. I will submit myself to the counsel and admonition of the classes, always ready with gentleness and reverence to give an account of my understanding of the Christian faith. I will conduct the work of the church in an orderly way and according to the liturgy of the book of church order. Trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ for strength, I pledge myself in this commission to preach and teach the good news of salvation in Christ, to build up and equip the church for the mission in the world, to free the enslaved, to relieve the oppressed, to comfort the afflicted, and to walk humbly with God. I ask God, and you, his servants, to help me so to live until that glorious day when with joy and gratitude, gratitude, not gratitude, we stand before our great God and King. And do you, the members of this church family, receive Allie Cranmer to be your commissioned pastor and receive with meekness and love, the word of God that she proclaims. If so, please answer, we do. we do. And do you promise to honor her authority, welcome her care, follow as she guides you in serving Jesus Christ, encourage and pray for her, promise the financial and personal support she needs as you serve together in obedience to the gospel of Jesus Christ? If so, please answer, we do. And now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the only King and Head of the Church, I now declare that Ellie Cranmer 
is commissioned as a commissioned pastor of Third Church Pella. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. congregation, you may be uh, seated, and we usually close uh, ordination services or commissioning services with laying on of hands. Uh, So elders, would you please come forward for laying on of hands, as well as Mike and family, immediate family, if you would please come. And uh, uh, Allie has asked if Pastor Kevin and Lane would please close this time with prayer. So Pastor Kevin and Lane will close this time in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this moment. We thank you for the calling of Allie Cranmer into ministry with us. We thank you for who she is, how you have gifted her for the love and the grace that has brought her to this place. Lord, we we pledge our support to her. May we be a community of love around her, encouraging her as she exercises her gifts and her passion. Lord, we agree with your Holy Spirit over Allie Cramner and her family. We ask for your love, your protection, your strength, your wisdom, your continued um, outpouring of your spirit upon her and upon them. We are so grateful to you, Lord, for this gift to our congregation and to many others. And we pray that we may be the body of Christ in the way that you call us together. We thank you, Lord, for this congregation and for their love for each other, their love for your kingdom and your church. Thank you for the ways they have loved and cared for Allie and Mike and the precious daughters. So we entrust this congregation and these dear ones to you and pray your blessing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you, everybody. I don't quite know how to segue. Can we just... uh... Well, let me, just, let me just try to get a segue. So it's been interesting for me, you know, having Lane and I have been with you for over 26 years now. And I am so grateful for how many different ways you, we as a congregation, have sought to serve the Lord. And there's just a whole litany of ways I want to say thank you for. But in particular today, in the last 20-some years, we stopped counting, but more than 400 people have left Third Church to go to some kind of vocational ministry over this past quarter of a century. And so grateful that you as a congregation create space, opportunity for young people to grow up and to use their gifts. And it's been fun to watch young people like Allie just grow so much in the Lord. And uh, thank you for allowing this to happen. So very grateful. And Allie, we're proud of you. Why well, I'm getting old. I just think and cry all the time anymore. Yes. 
Funny story. I cried so much. I buy hankies in the 20s. I ran out. Anyhow, Acts 20. Let's go. Here we go. Thank you, everyone. Thank you for your life, your love, for the work of the Spirit among us. We're going to continue on in Acts chapter 20. In particular, what I'm going to respond to a question that Bristol Hopkins gave us. On Monday nights in our home, the teachers of the, of the series meet, and we talk through uh, what's coming. And so there's a group of seven of us who meet in our home on Monday nights. And several weeks ago, one of the teachers, Bristol Hopkins, asked this question that had just really stuck with me. She said, as we're going through Acts, the specific question Bristol raised was, and how do we live this specifically? How do we apply this specifically to how we live? And so this week, in light of Bristol's question, I'd like to go through Acts chapter 20 and offer you multiple ways we can live out the Acts 1-8 mandate. So what's the mandate? The Holy Spirit will come on you, and you'll be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. So we're going to look at how this happens, and today I want you to see how uniquely it happens. So I'm going to read chapter 20. On the screen, we have a more detailed map. Can I have that, please? And this is a different map than last week, and the reason it's different is because in Acts chapter 20, he goes to so many little ports. And so... I'm going to kind of go through quickly and not stop, but as I read, as we read, keep looking up because it's quite a great amount of travel going on here. And just give you a heads up, you're going to read in the passage, sometimes he travels by sea and sometimes by land. And I'll explain more in a little bit. Acts chapter 20, please hear the word of the Lord. And at the end, I'd like you to respond to each other for like uh, two minutes. Make it one. What, what rose for you as you listened or read the word of God, okay? Acts chapter 20, verse one. When the uproar in Ephesus had ended, Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, said goodbye, and set out for Macedonia. He traveled throughout that area, speaking many words of encouragement to the people, and finally arrived in Greece, where he stayed for three months. Because some Jews had plotted against him just as he was about to sail for Syria, he decided to go back through Macedonia. He was accompanied by, now there are seven names here. So let me just read the names. Sopatar, Aristarchus, Secundus, Gaius, Timothy, Tychicus, and Trophimus from seven different places. These men went on ahead, waited for us at Troas. But we sailed from Philippi after the festival of unleavened bread, and five days later joined others at Troas, where we stayed for seven days. Now the story changes kind of uniquely. On the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. Paul spoke to the people, and because he intended to leave the next day, he kept on talking until midnight. There were many lamps in the upstairs room where they were meeting. Seated in a window was a young man named Eutychus, who was sinking into a deep sleep as Paul talked on and on. Kevin talked on and on. <laughs> when he was sound asleep, he fell to the ground from the third story and was picked up dead. Paul went down, threw himself on the young man, put his arms around him. Don't be alarmed, Paul said. He's alive. Then he went upstairs again and broke bread and ate. And after talking until daylight, Paul left. The people took the young man home alive and were greatly comforted. Story changes. We went on ahead to the ship and sailed for Assos, where we were going to take Paul aboard. He made this arrangement because he was going there on foot. When he met us at Assos, we took him aboard and went to Mytilene. The next day we set sail from there to Chios, then we went over to Samos, and the following day Miletus. Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus to avoid spending time in the province of Asia, for he was in a hurry to reach Jerusalem, if possible, 
by the day of Pentecost. From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When they arrived, he said to them, You know how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came into the province of Asia, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears, in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that that would be helpful to you, but have taught publicly from house to house. I've declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Now I know that none among you whom I've gone about preaching the kingdom of God will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you today that I'm innocent of the blood of any of you. For I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. So keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourself know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. And everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work we must help the weak. Remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. When Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with them all and prayed. They all wept as they embraced Paul and kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement that he would never see, they would never see his face again. Then they come to him to the ship. People of God, this is the word of God. Could you take one minute? Anything pop for you as you, read, as you heard or read the scriptures? On your marks, get set, talk, or act like you're praying. All right, how about a couple people, throw it out. What's what, what stands out for you? Let's see where the Holy Spirit leads us. I got a plan, but maybe you'll take us somewhere else. Anybody? What's the Holy Spirit pop- popping for you? Yeah, wow. Well. 
Interesting. Lyle said, it drips with passion. You see love all the way through the passage. Fantastic. Thank you. Somebody else. What else? What pops? Eli said how amazing how far he traveled. So look at, look at this trip. So each one of these, these missionary journeys are like 1,500 miles-ish. But what's interesting in this story, and I don't have time to unpack it all, but sometimes he goes by boat because he's carrying enormous amounts of money. So what the crazy story here is the people in Jerusalem are starving. So you remember way back at the beginning of the book of Acts, they leave from Jerusalem and they begin to bring the gospel all through Syria and then to Galatia and then to Asia and then to Greece, down to Macedonia. All these little house churches and all these cities now take offerings and they send it to Jerusalem because the mother church is in terrible, terrible financial place. So notice there are seven people on this trip. Why seven? Because they're carrying so much money. And Paul wants to be sure there's accountability, it's safe. So sometimes he goes by See, because it's hard to move all this stuff. But secondly, he goes by land because people are trying to kill him. And one of the ways assassins would kill political prisoners was they'd get on these freighters. The freighters would have two to 300 guests along who pay freight to get on, plus stuff they're moving. On the boats, they would kill the, the, the political prisoners. So he knows his life's in danger. So sometimes he takes a boat because there's so much money to bring but sometimes he is fearing for his life again. So he walks, and he walks by himself. So this is a 1,500-mile journey, and Eli just said there is a, a, a hunger to share the gospel. Okay, somebody else. One or two more. Lane. There's also a knowledge that, that he says the Holy Spirit's telling him that there's lots of hardship and all that. So think of what he was carrying with him in his, his spirit, not knowing but being obedient. Mm-hmm. Lane said there was the Holy Spirit warned that this trip was going to be difficult. How obedient was he? Let's talk about the Holy Spirit. So five times in here, you see the work of the Spirit. How did the Holy Spirit tell Paul that hardship awaited him? So let's talk about the gifts of the Spirit. There were probably some people in his circle to whom the Holy Spirit gave prophetic words. And so they would share that with Paul, and multiple times he was told, your life's in danger. So, Having said that, let me talk you through now specific ways we can be witnesses. So remember, Bristol's question to me is, how do we apply this? So Acts 1.8, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the earth. Let me start taking you through the ways you see this happen. Slide four. So how, how does the passage begin? It begins with, he is encouraging How many times in the course of life are you and I given opportunities as witnesses to Jesus to bring encouragement? Let me push. In a world filled with negativity and despair, we have opportunities to bring the goodness of the kingdom of God by sharing words of encouragement. But let me stop a second. But there's 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 a but here. This encouragement comes from the Lord. As we are abiding in Christ, as the Spirit is living in us, His life, His love begins to radiate from us. So I can tell for me, when, when, I, when I am keeping in step with the Spirit, you know what I'm talking about, right? When I'm abiding in Christ, you understand that, right? 
When that's happening, it is easy for the Holy Spirit to bring prompts to encourage. So here's my question, and I'd like to just be quiet for 30 seconds. After every one of these, these different words I'm going to give you, the first word, encouragement, I'd like to ask a question. So could we take 30 seconds, and would each of us ask the Lord, who am I to encourage this week? Would you listen? Would you listen? Okay, next slide. How about the impact of generosity? Can you imagine when the Jerusalem church received this gift, how stunned they were of the kindness of generosity? Now, take you back. Generosity is fundamentally not about money. Generosity is about the condition of one's heart. Those who are generous, I observe, are people who are full of the spirit of Jesus. I was in a meeting recently where there was this very heated debate about abortion. I told the story last service. The person involved came to me between services and said, I didn't get it quite right, so let me try it again. There was a pro-life and a pro-choice person in a space and there was lots of emotion and lots of anger and lots of conversation. It was very heated and the anxiety in the room just rose. And then in the midst of that, someone came into the this, this, this circle, the conversation, and with kindness of spirit, a generous spirit, changed the room. And the people who were so angry in the room filled with anxiety, it dissipated. And there became a place for conversation because someone with a generous spirit brought the kindness of Jesus into a difficult place. Generosity might include money. It might include food. It might include whatever. But it starts with the condition of our hearts. Now, let me push. People ask me, how can I tell if a person's a follower of Jesus? And I say to them, I have no idea. I look for the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faith. That's what I look for. But I also listen for generosity. Because those who are generous of heart, I think, carry the generosity of Jesus with them. And where they go, that generosity is apparent. So my question for you is, can we take 30 seconds? Could you ask the Lord, with whom could I be generous this week? Could you pray about that for just a moment? Okay, the next slide. How about the impact of kingdom words and deeds? And I'd like to, so the story Eutychus is crazy, isn't it? Every time I read that about him going on and on and on, I just hate that. But let me play with you a little bit. So how would you feel if I said there are more 
passages about raising the dead in Scripture than there are about worshiping on Sunday. So just for, let me just mess with you for a minute. This is a two-volume, 1,200 pages by Dr. Craig S. Keener, one of the best New Testament theologians in the world. Phenomenal theologian. His book is entitled Miracles, The Credibility of the New Testament Accounts. And so what he does, he takes out all the New Testament accounts, does scholarly work around it, and then he works all kinds of anecdotal things with it around the world throughout church history. And he makes a statement here that's stunning. Listen to the statement. He said, in the course of church history, we can find millions of accounts of people who, through history, have seen, experienced, or felt the supernatural power of God. So if you want to go deep on this, this is phenomenal. But if that's not your cup of tea, the last Christianity Today, titled God Gave Us Oil, there's a three-page article called, entitled, Do the Dead Still Rise? Now let's be clear here. There are exaggerated claims, there are excesses, and there are things that are just crapola bola. We just got to name it. But there is unbelievable, unmistakable history that we serve a supernatural God. And so Paul, you notice the, the context. He is going on and on. What's he going on and on and on about? He knows he's leaving. He says wolves are coming in, savage wolves to destroy the church. So he must make sure they got this clear. Do you understand what it means that Jesus came, lived, died, and rose, and what that means to us? The power of the Spirit, do you understand? So he's, he's going on and on because this is his one shot with this church, the small group. He wants them to know because you know what's coming. But then the kid falls out of the window. But why? Because it's so small space, you got lots of torches, it's hot, it's muggy. The kid works with his hands. Most people think Eutychus works with his hands. He's tired. He worked all day. He falls out. He's tired. And what does Paul do? Now get this. There are nine, listen to this now. There are nine incidents in Scripture where people are raised from the dead. So he does what Elijah did. He does what Elisha did. He did what Jesus did. Now what am I saying to you? He shared the words but he also shared the deeds. And that is going to be our growing edge as a congregation as we move ahead in the future. We have to say, Lord, how do I become more a person who knows your words, who are in love with who you are and what you've expressed to us, these holy, infallible, incredible words. At the same time, Lord, will you fill me with your spirit that I can be prompted to do what you would do? So my question to you is, Lord, will you... Ask the Lord, will you empower me to express the kingdom of God in word and deed this weekend? Let me give you a story that's not so scary. It's, 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 a, it's a man, a man who works at Vermeer, who told me two years ago, and I'm quoting him, if you ever ask me publicly anywhere to pray, I'm leaving. So don't even think about it. Okay? So I had to go to a meeting east this week, and I'm driving past Vermeer, and I see this guy in the parking lot. And there's a guy next to him. He's got one hand on his shoulder. He's got one hand here. <laughs> so I go to my meeting, and I come back, and I call him and said, did I see what I thought I saw? He said, I did it. 
There's another man who works at Vermeer who does not consider himself, um, he has a low sense of self. He's a wonderful man. He works his butt off. He's a good guy. He said, well, what can I do? How can I be a witness for Jesus? I, I'm, not, I don't wanna, I'm not smart. I don't want to talk. He put himself down. I listened. I said, well, how many guys do you work with? He's all guys. He said, I work with 50. I said, okay. You asking me for a challenge? He said, yeah. I said, okay, here's my challenge. Learn 50 names and pray for each guy by name before you go to work. And he's doing it. That's a witness. Something simple. Lord, how do you want me to express the kingdom word deed? Can we just stop for 30 seconds? Could you ask the Lord, how do you want to empower me to share your goodness in word or deed? Okay, next one. The impact of a servant-hearted lifestyle. Did you catch how many different ways Paul was serving other people? With his hands, with his heart, with his voice, with his prayers, with his gifts. Question, could you ask the Lord, where do you want me to be a servant this week? Could we stop for a second? Could you ask the Lord, where do you want me to serve? Okay, the next one, number eight. The impact of courage while suffering. I, I can tell you this story with permission. At the first service, there's someone whose son was murdered some years ago. And she walks in at about uh, two minutes to eight. She walks in. I'm walking around the coffee pot serving coffee. We see each other. So we lost our son a year ago. She lost her son several years ago. We stopped and looked at each other. And I looked at her and she looked at me and I said, so how are you doing? And the question is, how are you doing in the grief of losing a child? And she kind of got teary-eyed. She said, today's a hard day. I gave her a hug and she walked in. But let me tell you what I've observed in this person. In the midst of a horrific death of a child, I have seen amazing courage rising in her heart and in her life. And I look around this room and I can name people who have walked through very, very difficult times and places. Can I just say thank you for walking with courage to places of suffering? Because when people see us walking with courage and with faith in Jesus, we offer a witness. A witness. The next one, please. No, I'm sorry. Go back. I'm sorry, Ann. Let's stop for a second. Could you ask the Lord... Where do you need to live courageously with pain this week? Could you just ask the Lord that? How do I live courageously with a hard place? Okay, let's go to the last one. 
How about if we ask the Lord to help us be mindful of the good that is to come? You know, one of the things that many of us have talked about, those of us who have lost loved ones in the last season, so many of us talk about how we think about what's to come. Can I just keep reminding us? We know how the story ends, right? Christ comes back as the glorious, wonderful, awesome, loving King of Kings. And he's going to make everything right. Every wrong will be right. It is beyond comprehension. Beyond comprehension. And Paul, I believe St. Paul lived the way he did because he kept looking for what is to come. Can I just, if I can just, can, you, can, I, can I do rah-rah for just a minute? We win. We win because he's already won. There is always hope, no matter how bad it is. But we've got to keep looking. We've got to keep thinking. We, crazy story. Crazy story. So let me take about the end. So on Easter Sunday, someone who is well known among us as a wonderful, level-headed, balanced follower of Jesus, good man, was sitting with his family at the 8 o'clock service, kind of where the Van Zees are sitting, that hole right there. And as I was beginning to preach on Easter Sunday, this person came to my office and told me he saw Kirk standing right here looking at me as I preached. Now, I don't know what to do with that. But if I have watched people die and been with him at the point of death, so many people have seen things, have experienced things, glorious things, that are beyond our comprehension. St. Paul writes, the sufferings of this life cannot compare with the glory that will be revealed. There is good coming. There is good. It's some Sunday, some someday I'm going to have a seminar. I'm going to say, everybody come to this. Let me, let me give you in one hour. We hear so much bad news. Secular researchers are showing us that in so many areas and measures, listen to this. Things are getting better. And we never hear about it. The kingdom of God is happening. Good is occurring. All we hear about is how bad everything is. We are part of an unbreakable, unshakable kingdom. The kingdom of God, listen, is never in trouble. And we are going to be a part of a new heaven and a new earth beyond comprehension. So how do we apply Acts 1.8? We fill with the Spirit. Can we be people of encouragement? Can we be generous? Can we take risks of word and deed? Can we be kind? Can we be servant-hearted? Can we live with a perspective that's different than people around us? In that way, we are witnesses. So let me end with this. Thank you. So many of you are being witnesses. I applaud you. I bless you. And on Tuesday mornings, 
in the lighthouse. I pray for you. Well done. Well done. Let's pray. Lord, we thank and praise you. And we bless you that your kingdom is present and your kingdom is coming. And that which is beautiful and good will be revealed and we will experience it. So we pray for hearts that are open. We ask for more of your spirit. Would you just pray internally? Holy Spirit, fill me. Let's ask for more of the spirit. Lord, pour your spirit on your people. Release your spirit within your people that we might be people who look and act and seem like Jesus. We love you, Lord. We bless you and we praise you. And we offer ourselves to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. And as we sing these last songs, I, I, could we just step into what Kevin is asking, you know, that we would really say, Holy Spirit, come and fill us. And we believe in this reality that the Spirit comes. When we say yes to Jesus, he makes us new, but we also believe that he comes in fresh and new ways, that he pours his presence out on us. And, I, and I, I'm going to share a story, and I, I believe what I, Kevin has taught me this. I come from a charismatic background where I've had some misconstrued ideas of the Holy Spirit. And Kevin has always said one of the greatest aspects of Holy Spirit empowerment is because of how he comes to give us courage. And so many of these things that we step into, it's just like, oh, I just, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid. You know, and Kevin's great at this. He's a pastor. He has to be good at this stuff. Me, on the other hand, I, I tend to sense I'm more like the, the mass that I, I get very scared. I get nervous. And I've been slowly saying, Holy Spirit, keep empowering me with your courage. And a simple example, not to toot my own horn, but I think it's important for you to know that as leaders, we, we, we are stepping into these things, things that are not easy, things that are hard. And as what I'm learning as I go into Walmart is I'm saying, Holy Spirit, give me moments and opportunities because they're around almost every single corner. And I've had multiple moments of being able to pray with people. And I, I was in Walmart, boy, three weeks ago, and I was in a hurry, and this gentleman was helping me. And the thing that I had purchased, he had to bring it up to the front. And so we're going up to the front, and he just, he asked, you know, I asked him how he's, how he's doing, and he's like, um, I'm doing okay, but I have a bad migraine. I'm like, darn it. I know it, you know, like, <laughs> because in that moment, I have a choice. I have a choice to make that someone has presented themselves with, you know what, I need, I need prayer. And we, he had said it at the back, and I'm like, oh, am I going to pray for him? And I, I get, we get halfway up, and I finally like just stop in the middle of the aisle, like, hey, can I just pray for you? Because we've seen people healed from migraines. In our church, we have testimonies and stories, and so I'm like, I've got to step out with faith. And let me tell you, it was not easy. Like the Holy Spirit had to come and give me courage in that moment. And I just did a simple prayer, 10 seconds, try not to weird him out. And we went on, and I went on my way. But it's so simple. That's where the kingdom comes, is these simple steps of faith where we just say, Lord, would you use me? And I didn't have to get religious and complicated. And I just said, Lord, in the name of Jesus, would you heal him because you love him? And I, don't, I have no idea, but I know that I, it was a witness for Jesus. And that's what we we're asking. And, and it's not easy. It's not easy. And so, we're, so as we sing this last song about the Holy Spirit, would we just say, Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you fill us? Would you empower us? And would you give us courage so that we can be your hands and feet?